Welcome to the new series of The Sound of the Hound. Series two. How, how did we get here, Dave? I think we did series one. <laughs> Had a break. <laughs> and now we're doing this one. Well, here we are. Welcome. Um, in this episode, we are going to be on location in one of the very buildings in which pretty much all the episodes of series one took place and many of this, uh, of this series. We're going to be in, uh, at 31 Maiden Lane, Covent Garden. Yep. Which is the location. The dogs just walked in. This is the sound of the hound. This is the hound that, that joins us in certain things. Um, um, we are going to 31 Maiden Lane in Common Garden, which was the location of the Gramophone Company's first ever recording studio. Well, the first offices and recording studios, 1898. It was established when Fred came over. Fred Geisberg came over from um, America. The, the, where, it was the first floor, wasn't it? That the it was the first floor of, of, of a senior old hotel was. on a yeah. cobbled back street in Common Garden. Why are we there, you ask? Well... Those who listened to Series 1 might remember I started a campaign to have a commemorative plaque put up on the side of the building, because it's completely unmarked. It was. Um, it's a pizza restaurant. And last uh, December, uh, the unveiling took place. We, um, we raised the money, had our submission uh, accepted by the council, and we had a big unveiling ceremony, which was incredibly exciting. And Dave was there with a uh, with a roving mic. Yeah, I was I was very much the help, um, and James was the star that day. So I I roved around putting my microphone under people's noses and asking them questions and and recording them. And James kept going on stage, and people kept kissing him and giving him flowers and taking <laughs> his photograph. And recording star said hello, James. And when I tried to say hello, they just ignored me. It was that kind of day, but it was, I did it, it for really the team. Wasn't. Um, but it was unveiled by the one and only Mr. Uh, Roger Taylor from Queen, who was he brilliantly turned up. Absolutely. He was wearing this sort of green velvet suit. And, and these I've never seen shoes like this, sort of brown loafers with flowers painted on them. With his, and his beard was all... Anyway, he looked like a kind of wizard king and it was brilliant i mean he came in specially to do it he came exactly. to do it, it gave it was absolutely speech. fantastic it was, really friendly it was yeah. great and there were lots of other people from the sort of music ecosystem there were people from record labels and prs and gramophone enthusiasts historians historians yeah. charles martin was there um the producer son of sir george and uh and, and loads of the guy and I'm, I'm sorry his name escapes me who was mixing the sound uh the, the music for the cats movie that much blind uh, uh pete Coppin, my anyway, friend Pete Coppin. Well, Gosh, sorry, Pete. I'd forgotten you were there. Yeah, we had a good chat. He was there. It was it was a lot of fun. It lasted an hour or so. We had food and drink, um, a few speeches. There was a a speech on the history of the building um, by the members of the uh, a member of the City of London Phonograph and Gramophone Society. I got that the right way round. Yes, definitely. Uh, phonograph, um, and phonograph and Gramophone Society, um, who are lovely, lovely people, and there is nothing they don't know about Gramophone. And they, they did a little exhibition. They had as an well, exhibition. Didn't they? And they had some of the oldest ever machines. Yeah, some really um, interesting people. It was great, and you know, to have Roger there, who the Queen were on EMI for a very long time. Um, and of course, the EMI was what the gramophone company eventually became. So there is a direct thread from him back to this, back to this studio. And so that's a thread, not a thread. <laughs> very good. Um, I hate to over-dramatize this at all. But you could sense the kind. There was a real sense of, of you could feel the weight of history in that room. It was wonderful. Yeah, you really could. Um, so yes, yeah, so f- forgive the slightly clinky, echoey sound. It, 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 as I said, it's a pizza restaurant. So um, and I was left on my own to record it. So that's probably part of the reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's, an, it's a Westminster uh, Westminster City Council green plaque. It's part of their um, series that they are looked after um, very well. I think the previous one was unveiled by the Queen on um, on the first GCHQ building. 
Oh wow! So you have to you have yeah. you have to kind of, it has to be properly rigorously checked. And it, 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 I, I have to tip my hat in James's direction because it, it's, it's him that's driven this. I think it took you years, didn't it? It's, to, it's, yeah, it's to a sort of gather the money and the, the enthusiasm, and then get it through the various committees. But it's like it's like it's like a thick forest. It, 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 it was getting in, working out how to actually get this ball rolling. That was the toughest thing. Yeah. And once you're in, once you kind of get your head around the system, it was it got a little easier. But it had to go through various committees and cabinets and, and decision making bodies within uh, Westminster Council. They rang me up just before. They said, "What color would you like the the unveiling curtain to be?" That was the kind of fun bit. <laughs> um, but that, lovely little kind of um, well, I, I think, interesting yeah. things along the way. The um, a guy called John Lloyd who makes the who made Blackadder and the QI show. His office is just next door to Maiden Lane. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Didn't know that. I found this out and I put a, a note through his door just saying, I know you're interested in slightly random facts, um, but this is the first recording studio. There is a plaque being unveiled. Um, would you care to contribute? Uh, and by the way, here's a copy of my novel. <laughs> stuck, it, stuck it through yeah, his We door. should never f- f- fail to mention James's novel at every occasion. It's The uh, Industry of uh, Human Happiness by James Hall, Set at this period, very, very good Set read. in this building, really. Set in the building, yeah, which is how this whole thing... But well, thank, thank you for the plug, Dave. Yeah. Um, anyways, I heard nothing from Mr Lloyd, and then about six weeks later, got an email, and he chucked in some money, which was very kind. It turns That's out his son's kind. in a band. Yeah. Um, and there were yeah, loads of, loads of really kind of fun little... And lots of family came, and it was just a very special day. Yeah. And but, we went to the pub afterwards. Well, I did, and I, I went back to work, as oh, I said. But, um, yeah, I mean, I... I've, sort of worked in the music industry for 30 years. Um, and, and increasingly, I, when, when I need to impress them, I take them to Rules Restaurant. And, and I used to come outside of Rules Restaurant and point at 31 Maiden Lane and say, why isn't there a plaque there? And, and the guests would always be, shake their heads and be bemused. And I did nothing about it. Well, you've never taken me to Rules. No, I didn't. But maybe I should in, 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 yes. as a reward. But, you know, James did something about it. So this well, episode is really celebrating that. Human endeavour, and celebrating the human endeavour of Fred Geisberg and the the pioneers back at the beginning of the UK recording industry. And something I really must mention: my friend Jim Lefebvre, who's an animator, he created this. You saw this thing in the oh, comedy. this was amazing. He created this extraordinary thing. It's called, I think, it's called a zonotrope. Yes, and it is using the it's, it's basically a video camera uh, filming a turntable on which is placed. A what looks like a crown with lots of different animated figures or the same animated figure in different positions yeah. on each spike of the crown. As the thing rotates, uh, the film, the camera picks up uh, the movement, projects it onto a screen, and it looks like the character is running or walking or doing something. I explained that really badly. But Jim did a mini Fred Geisberg character and had him walking around uh, it was on this turntable. It was absolutely fantastic. And, I, have, um, I have to say, if anybody's listening to this that wants... A kind of novelty little thing at a corporate event or a or, a, or a you know a party or something. Jim, Jim is brilliant. He plays music, and that and um, and those animations were absolutely terrific. It was Everybody gathered around it. They did. We, we went on the Robert Elm show before, and <laughs> Jim did a much better job at explaining it on radio than I did just then. So what, what's his name again? Jim. Jim Lefebvre. Yeah, look him up. Um, yes. So I think. Without further ado, we should probably cut to the live live show. Let's go to Maiden Lane. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a, a really lovely afternoon. Thank you for getting the plaque up there, James. 
and uh, on to the episode. This is the sound of the hound. So here we are. Dave, this is happening. We're in the basement of 31 Maiden Lane, the location of the first recording studio, and we're about to have the plaque unveiling, and it's very exciting. The room is a hubbub of activity. We have the lovely gentleman from the City of London uh, Phonograph and Gramophone Society who've bought some old machines. We have an animator called Jim Lefebvre who has created this thing especially called the Geisberg, Geisberg Phonotrope. Um, and in about an hour, guests will start arriving. And Mr. Roger Taylor from Queen will pull the, pull the cord. In fact, I've lived, left out the most important thing. What can we see on the stage there, Dave? So we can see um, uh, an easel. Um, and on that easel are some purple velvet curtains and a piece of cord next to it. And I think somebody, uh, Roger, uh, Roger, Roger Taylor, will be pulling that cord at some point to unveil the plaque. Which we just had a sneaky peek at, and uh, very exciting. Very exciting. And then they put it up outside about half an hour after he's done it. And there we are. And it's got um, two names on there who've, who've um, contributed to it. One is the EMI Archive Trust, of which I am a trustee. And the second is James Hall. Yeah, some loser. I don't know who he is. But guest-wise today, hopefully, we've got Charles Martin coming. Which is great. I interviewed him yesterday, actually, for a piece on the for the Telegraph about this. Um, our friend Joe Boyd is, should be here. Oh, great! Alan Bloomline, the grandson of the man who invented stereo sound, and Simon, his father. This is wonderful. And um, and yeah, there's one thing we should mention is that James never never misses an opportunity to plug his uh, his novel, the um, Industry of Human Happiness. And there's a there's a book signing um, stand there. So. Uh, yeah, which will be shuffled. Which will be, be the, the least busy part of the room, I imagine. But there you go. We're going to play some snippets from some of the speeches. The sound isn't great, I'm afraid. But the first voice you'll hear is Karen Tomlinson, the chair of the EMI Archive Trust. Then me, then briefly, Roger. I'm going to leave the details and the facts to the experts and James so that um, he can tell you the truth. But I just wanted to say, looking at this room makes me really grateful. We work in a gorgeous creative industry. We have a very lucky life, so thank you. But before I say anything, I have to say thank you to our very special guest today, Roger Taylor. James, can you tell us some facts? That's all right. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you all for coming. This is really incredible. This has been a, a two, three year campaign and to see it come to life and to have very special guests is absolutely wonderful. Um, as Karen said, I, I was researching the novel of Industry of Human Happiness when I found out about this studio, first ever recording studio, opened in 1898 by the Gramophone Company. So I came here and was surprised to see there's nothing on the building, in the building, about its past. No plaque, no picture, anything. So I thought, uh, let's try and get one done. Um, I made a joke, rather lame probably at the time, that um, it was weird that the only round thing celebrated in this building other pieces. Um, <laughs> we take for granted the fact that you can now listen to almost any song ever written at the touch of a button. 
uh, on your phone. But before these guys did what they did in this room, music only lasted for as long as the notes hung in the air. And that's a really extraordinary thing to get your head around. He did people uh, playing the bagpipes, he did people whistling, he did people reciting the alphabet. But eventually it took off, and the gramophone company became his master's voice, which became EMI. And 31 years after opening this studio, they opened at Abbey Road. So literally, music outside of America went from zero to the Beatles in 60 years, and it happened in this building, which I think is a wonderful thing. Um, there is, however, one person in particular who it means an awful lot uh, to all of us that's here, and that's, uh, that's Roger Taylor. Um, the last Westminster Council pact to be unveiled was on the GCHQ building, and it was unveiled by the Queen. We've done one better, we had a, a member of Queen. Which is far more important. Um, Roger, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear not only because of your, the band's association with EMI and, and Lansbury Universal, but your music really is part of the cultural fabric of this country. So it's very apt that you're here today. So thank you. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Roger Taylor. I'm very honoured to be here, and like most of us, I think uh, I have an awful lot to thank this uh, building for, whichever floor it was on. <laughs> and uh, really, you know, it's quite extraordinary watching, looking at some of these pictures. And it just remains for me to do whatever I have to do here. Yeah. Uh, is it unveiled? Um, yeah, absolutely. This is the sound of the hound. Well, I, I'm Christopher Proudfoot. I'm um, the president of the City of London Phonograph and Gramophone Society. I've been into the subject most of my life, in effect. Um, particularly disc gramophones rather than cylinder phonographs, although, of course, I have an interest in all of them. And we have here four of the very early machines all of which would actually have come from this building in Maiden Lane. Um, they're not quite in chronological order, but never mind. We're starting off here with a very primitive-looking thing, which is turned by hand. It hasn't got a clockwork motor in. And this was a sort of bargain basement model that came out in 1900 and didn't actually sell very well because, of course, if you've got to turn it by hand, you can't keep a constant speed up. But um, then next to it is the next one up, also one of the 1900 models, called a style number three which looks similar, but it has got a, a spring in it, so you can wind it up and it will then play a record of its own. Um, following on from that, we have a coin-operated model, which obviously was designed for use in pubs and bars and so on. Um, this is 1899, and it's um, thought to be the first, well, in fact it is, the first machine that was actually di designed in London. The other ones all came from America. And this one was actually designed in London, although the, the parts came from America. And it's um, probably the only really successful coin slot machine they ever made. The later ones are very rare, and they just stopped making them in 1905 because they found that there wasn't much market in this country. They were in Germany. They saw a lot of coin slot machines in Germany, but not in this country for some reason. Um, and then finally we come to... This is the original gramophone. This was the gramophone. It doesn't have a model number because it was the only model they made. 
which is uh, 1898. Uh, so this again, this will come back to the the building it left 120 years ago. Um, you've, you've got it set up with um, Nipper, the with dog in the front dog of it. Nipper, yes. Well, of course, Nipper was a real dog, although he never actually listened to a gramophone because he was originally painted listening to a phonograph. And um, the, the gramophone company persuaded the artist to change it into a gramophone, and, and then they paid him for, for the picture and for the copyright in it as well. It became one of the most famous trademarks in the world. And, of course, later on, when the gramophone company had shops all over the country, they made or had made various models of Nipper, which their dealers could set up in their shop windows listening to one of these early gramophones. And oh, they fantastic. were very particular that you set it right. You, you weren't allowed to have him on the left and the gramophone on the right. It had to be the dog on the right and the gramophone on the left, like that, as in the picture. Perfect. And then we have, a, if you want to carry on, we've got, we, we, we've got a whole display of needle tins here, because the gramophone played with steel needles, which had to be changed after every record. So that was a nice little aftermarket uh, uh, product for the company. And um, they came from fairly on, from about 1904 or so, I think, in these lovely tins, starting off with the one with just Nipper picture embossed in the top, and then they, they became coloured, and that goes, that goes from well, 1904 up to 1950s, that's a very late one. These are the other tones. They, they came in different thicknesses, which gave you different volumes, uh, and they were colour-coded according to the, to the tone, and then there were some variations as well. Could I just check one, one fact I think you just said was that... Um you only got one play out of a needle at that yes. point. You could squeeze two out if you wanted to, but at the risk of damaging your record. Uh, basically, the, the steel needle had a sharp point which wore itself to the shape of the groove. And by the time it got to the end of the record, it was too worn to play another record without damaging it. It sort of begs the question, was it, was it a gramophone company or a needle-selling company? <laughs> well, indeed. They didn't actually make the needles. They had to buy them in. But it, it did, as I say, it made a nice little um, everlasting product, which, which you went on selling, along with the records, of course. After you sold your gramophone, you had to sell people a constant supply of needles and a constant supply of records. Fantastic. Thank you very much. That was brilliant. So the gramophone company itself was set up in 1897. And then the following year, well, the gramophone company was set up actually to um, sell American-made gramophones and American-made discs. And then the guy, William Barry Owen, um, who set up the company over here, decided they needed to make local recordings. And that's when Fred Geisberg was sent over to London in 1898. And he was sent to 31 Maiden Lane, um, where he established the first disc recording studio. Peter Martland, historian from Cambridge University, gramophone expert and author. Included in the collection was... Uh, Darby did the 1904 recordings of Caruso, the last European recordings of Caruso, and he gave him a signed, an autograph, which again is amongst the collection, and is the, now the standard image that is yeah. used by yeah, right, so direct link yeah. uh, with uh, uh, the current um, organisation. Is, is that the postcard? Is that got, it's, it's a picture of himself, is it's it? With within Caruso, and on each side he says to Mr. Darby, yeah. sincerely Enrico Caruso. Isn't it great? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you you've got a manuscript. Yeah autograph of Caruso. So what is the significance of this, this studio here? Um, it's the first ever disc recording studio in Europe, 1898. 
Um, there had been various attempts at recording cylinders in parts of uh, London, but this is really the beginning of the modern industry. I wrote the um, centenary history of EMI, published in 1997. I guess it's 100 years after the gramophone company was established. 1897 was when an American named William Barry Owen arrived in London and uh, uh, set up a business selling American manufactured records and gramophones. And it's the following year. They needed a place to make records in London. And guess what? They came here. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you. Um, also, just to say, regarding the plaque, it's fantastic it's coming to fruition. Uh, in our society, we've been very keen for a number of years for this to uh, be in place. And I personally started uh, looking into how to get it done two or three years ago, working on a parallel path to James Hall. And I was absolutely delighted, beginning of this year, to be put in contact with James uh, and to find out all the great work that he'd done. So... It is brilliant this is coming to fruition. It's such an important building to mark in London, uh, and I hope that many, many other people get to become aware of it thanks to the plaque that will be outside. Brilliant. Thank you very much. James's £10 note will be going into your wallet fairly shortly for saying those nice things. Thank you. What's, what's your name, sorry? Tom Stevenson. So, Tom. Tom is from... Um, hello, I'm Tom. I'm a member of the City of London Phonograph and Gramophone Society. We are a um, society of people interested in the early history of talking machines and early recording. And it's fantastic today a uh, plaque is being unveiled here at 31 Maiden Lane because this really was the birthplace of the UK's hugely successful disc recording industry. It all started here on the first floor uh, and it used to be a hotel at the time. Uh, the gramophone company in its fledgling state took over this side of the building and used the first floor as their recording studio. And this was very, very novel technology, treated with a lot of suspicion by many people. Um, but this is where it all started. We've got some wonderful photos of the original studio, which were taken by Fred Geisberg, who was the American recording engineer who uh, established the recording studio. Um, he left behind a wonderful diary, which, thanks to one of the members of our society, we managed to get into the hands of the EMI archive, who are very kindly uh, funding a lot of today's event and, and the plaque. Thank you. Uh, you should get a job on media. <laughs> You're brilliant. So that was the day. That was the unveiling. Um, I hope you found it interesting. Yeah, so uh, as we said at the top of the show, um, I then put my stuff away and went back to work, and James went down the pub um, as Fred would have done. As Fred know. would have, as Fred and Sinclair Darby, he would have taken Sinclair Darby with him. I was effectively Sinclair Darby, and you, you, you were Fred, Fred that day. So, um, any highlights from the day? Just, I mean, it was lovely seeing so just, many people. It was lovely seeing so. Um, just the fact of getting it done, and that so many people did turn up. Um, Alan Edwards, who's this sort of big music PR, yeah, he he said it was like walking into a, an edition of Music Week magazine which was very kind of him. He just said it was people from every different aspect of the... Yeah. Just everyone being there, the fact we'd done it, the fact we could celebrate, um, celebrate Fred, really. Um, there was one lovely moment. My, 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 my parents were there, my dad, who's, who's very good at these events, just wandering around chatting to people. Um, 
he went up to a, a chap called Matt Clifford, who um, who we know, and said, and said sort of, so what is it that you do? You know, introduced himself. Um, slightly Prince Charles on a factory visit, but you know, in a Absolutely, much, in yeah. a much, in a way, dads, in a way, dads. dads can. He was, he was one of, and and Matt said, um, I'm in the Rolling Stones, <laughs> <laughs> and he is. He's the he's the long term touring keyboard player. Um, in the Stones, um, partner of Karen Tomlinson, the uh, wonderful chair of the EMI Archive Trust. Um, <laughs> Dad's face. He, A, he dined out yeah. on that story for weeks, but his face. How do you come back from that? Well, I'll be going, of course you are, dear. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in the Beatles. And I'm in the Beatles, yeah. yeah. Okay. See you next time. Next time. <laughs>